Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. The 1980s ushered in the era of the big summer blockbuster. Studios now wait for any time after Memorial Day to put out the big guns, and this all started in the 80s. But what was the best summer for movies in the 1980s? So that's what we're going to look at here today. This is a good one, and I struggled having to put this together because we're going to rank all the best summers of the 1980s and see how they all play out. So before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Okay, here we go. The summer movies of the 80s gave us some of the most beloved films in history. Not only were there big blockbusters, but there were comedy classics and a ton of memorable family films. The summer movies of the 80s were all about fun and adventure, but what year was the best? The first thing to look at is how did summer movies become a thing? How did it become the blockbuster season? With most things to do with Hollywood, we can really chalk us up to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. This all unofficially started in 1975 when Jaws was released. It became a massive hit and was the highest grossing film up to that point. Then in 1977, George Lucas put out a little Robots and Aliens movie that would change the landscape of Hollywood forever. They released these movies in the summer, and the studios were noticing something. Since most people were on vacation, they'd been going back to see Jaws and Star Wars countless times. It seems like a no-brainer now, but studios didn't consider that younger people had little to do in the summer. But this was also because there hadn't been any monumental, groundbreaking movies like Jaws and Star Wars, ones that lent themselves to multiple viewings. So you could say that the idea of the summer being the biggest movie season inadvertently started with Jaws and was cemented with Star Wars. By the time the 1980s rolled around, there would always be at least two gigantic movies released each summer. So now we get into this thing. And and like I said, I've never struggled more with a list like this, but at the same time, never enjoyed putting an episode like this together. I went back and forth on this order so many times, constantly changing the order of the years and how I thought they'd stack up. Eventually, I just had to stop because I don't think I'd ever finalize this thing. And you'll see when we compare some of these together, it's really hard to rank them. But I hopefully did a decent job. There's also a few caveats when putting together this list. The summer movie season officially kicks off Memorial Day weekend, which is usually near the end of May. This is, you know, also the official early kickoff for summer. So to be a, an official summer movie release, the movie had to come out on, on Memorial Day weekend or later, and it cut things off at the end of August. Ultimately, summer movies are probably fully released by the first week of August at the absolute latest. They're not really coming out near the end of the month, but you know, I'll include that anyway. And a lot of these films are obviously things I've covered on the show before with more in-depth articles. And you know, I'll make reference to previous podcasts I've done on the topic. If you want to go back into the archives and check them out. So for each year, I'll do a brief intro and then talk about the theme I think that seemed to run through that summer and, you know, then break down the top movies that came out and then also wrap up each year talking what I you know think was most notable about that year and how it stacks up with the others. Okay, here we go. So at number 10, the summer of 1983, and I'm calling this the single blockbuster summer because it's all based around Return of the Jedi. 
Here are the notable big blockbuster movies from the summer of 83. Besides Return of the Jedi, you had Trading Places, you had Superman 3, and National Lampoon's Vacation. Return of the Jedi was such a highly anticipated movie that I think no other studios wanted to go up against it. And fair enough. And again, this is the time, you know, and we can chalk this up to probably most of the years, besides getting into the late 80s, where movies opened on way fewer screens. So if you had a theater with one screen or two at the most, they're going to show Return of the Jedi as many times as possible because that's all anyone wanted to see. So it was a little tougher for other movies to stand out. But the summer of 1983 didn't offer a lot when it came to epic big pop culture movies. I mean, National Lampoon's Vacation was the perfect offering to go up against the sci-fi juggernauts of Return of the Jedi. Even Superman 3 was still going relatively strong at that point. You always need those comedies mixed in to balance out the -the over-the-top big screen blockbusters, I find. Okay, number nine, the summer of 1981. I'm calling this one the summer of indie. And it's based all around Indiana Jones. So we've got Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Then we've got The Evil Dead. Porky's came out in the summer of 81. Then Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. And it's hard to emphasize what a monster hit Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark is. Again, I don't know how old you are when you grew up specifically, but it was like the blockbuster's blockbuster. It it made the equivalent of nearly a billion dollars. And again, when you take into mind that idea about movies opening on way fewer screens, um, you know, when you take ticket prices for inflation, but if you go by ticket sales, it's up there in, in the handful of the highest grossing movies ever made. And I have a whole episode on Indiana Jones and the trilogy and like the making of the movies. And if Indiana Jones was based on a real guy or not. So you can check that one out in the archives, but Indiana Jones dominated the summer of 1981 and most of the year, honestly. I think Porky's is notable because it's that, again, that summer comedy offering that will always be able to carve out its own niche. The Evil Dead was a great release for horror fans. And the Mad Max movies certainly made an impact, I'd say. But this is 1981 and it's still the early days of turning the summer into blockbuster season. So it's understandable that there's a limited amount of choices. So I think... The summer of 83 is fits in nicely at number nine. Okay, th- this one might have been the toughest and you might disagree with me, but hopefully I'll explain it. At number eight is the summer of 1988. And I'm calling this one the summer of sequels. So here's a big list. We've got Young Guns, Crocodile Dundee 2, Rambo 3, Big, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, Short Circuit 2, Cocktail, Die Hard, A Fish Called Wanda, Big Top Peewee, Caddyshack 2, and Mac and Me, just to throw that in there. By this point in the 80s, there had been several blockbuster movies. There was now a lot of money in sequels, and those big hits from two to three years ago now were ready for a release for the summer of 1988. This, you know, again, is an era where movies seemed to take longer to make, so enough time had passed that a bunch of now classics had built a big following. It's hard not to have the summer of 1988 higher on this list, uh, but 
it's because there are so many sequels. That's why I put it a little lower. I see them as a follow-up to something already successful and not exactly an original offering. You know, I'm trying to look at what was the best overall for just straight up new releases. The big standouts here to me have to be Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I did a whole show about, and then Die Hard. The summer of 1980 was the summer that had, I think, something for everyone. You had action adventure, you had comedy, um, and then the worst movie of all time in Mac and Me, if you ever want to check that out. Funnily enough, and I think another reason why I put it a little lower on this list, there weren't any big science fiction fantasy blockbusters this summer. So as far as it being like, you know, perfectly even and balanced, which is another criteria, that's why I had it uh, lower at number eight. Okay. Number seven, the summer of 1985. And this one I'm calling the summer of adventure. So you've got a view to a kill, Fletch, the Goonies, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Follow That Bird, Weird Science, Teen Wolf. Oh yeah, and Back to the Future. So kidding there, but you know, when I think of the summer of 1985 for movies, that's what comes to mind, fun and adventure. These movies were all about fantasy and escapism. And many of these films are the definition of that escapism. And of course, this year is centered completely around Back to the Future. Not only is it my favorite movie of all time, I think it's the definitive 1980s film. And a lot of people felt the same way. Back to the Future was the number one movie for an astounding 13 straight weeks. That made it easily the most successful film of the year and one of the most successful of the decade. Michael J. Fox was also pulling double duty with Teen Wolf, which I had totally forgot came out that same summer. But then there's the movie that many cite as their all-time favorite 80s movie, The Goonies. This, again, is another tough positioning um, slot that I had when putting this list together. I think it's because, and my reasoning is, Weird Science, Teen Wolf, movies like Follow That Bird and Fletch were not gigantic hits, but they ultimately gave us that fun and adventure we go to the movies for, and especially during the summer. Number six, The Summer of 1980, and I'm calling this The Summer of Influence. So we've got Caddyshack, Friday the 13th, Airplane, The Empire Strikes Back, The Shining, and Mad Max. This could have been easily number one when we look at everything, but I'll explain why in a bit. 1985 arguably had more hits, but the summer of 1980 has some of the most influential movies in film history. I mean, just look at that lineup. I'll just, running through it again, Caddyshack, Friday the 13th, Airplane, The Empire Strikes Back, The Shining, and Mad Max. You've got the best of all the Star Wars movies. And again, that changed the way that people viewed what a sequel could be. Then you've got Caddyshack and Airplane, two of the most influential comedies of all time. Mad Max redefined what a film experience could be. And then there's The Shining, possibly my other favorite movie ever, and one of the most influential horror movies ever made. Then you throw Friday the 13th in there, and you've got a collection of films that redefined what each genre could be. The amazing thing about this summer, the summer of 1980, is that most of these gigantic films all came out within a week of each other. That decade was starting off by going full on with summer blockbusters, and it ended up giving us some of the greatest movies in film history. 
I have a massive episode all about The Shining if you want to go back and check that out. And it's as much covering, you know, the movie and the making as it is all about the conspiracies about the movie and the interpretations and what everything means. And there's, there's so much, this could have been an entire podcast all by itself, like, you know, a hundred part podcast all about the shining. And there's a lot of crazy stuff covered in it. As far as, you know, the standard ideas, like, is this a movie about Stanley Kubrick's admittance of faking the moon landing to what the Overlook hotel actually represents? So if you want to go back and check that out, it's a, it's a good one. Okay, number five, the summer of 1987. This one I'm calling the summer of fun. So here's a long list. We've got released in that summer, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Ernest Goes to Camp, Harry and the Hendersons, Predator, Spaceballs, Full Metal Jacket, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Robocop, Summer School, La Bamba, Superman 5, The Quest for Peace, The Lost Boys, Masters of the Universe, Back to the Beach, Who's That Girl, and Dirty Dancing. And this one, this summer of 87 really stands out in my mind. This is now more from my perspective because I was now of the age where I could go to movies and I was more likely to be allowed to meet up with friends at the mall and go see these things. And the movies that came out in the summer of 1987 to me had this more lighthearted, upbeat feel to them. I remember them all being promoted this this way. If you look back at the old trailers, it was really about that summertime fun. And they were ones you, you felt like you really didn't want to miss out on any of them because it was, again, everyone seeing all these big movies. I remember specifically Summer School standing out for that reason. And then La Bamba was a big hit. And then Back to the Beach had Pee Wee Herman in it. And... Who's That Girl was big because Madonna was huge. And then there was Dirty Dancing, which all the girls wanted to see. And then at the same time, I loved all the Ernest movies and Ernest Goes to Camp. I've done a whole episode on the career of the great Jim Varney there. Harry and the Hendersons was another good family movie. I've done a show all about that. Spaceballs was hilarious. Um, It it had a bit of everything. And, And like I said, it just had that more upbeat summertime fun to it. And... The summer of 1987, I think, had one of the best balances of all those different film genres. Like I just mentioned, you had the comedies, the family movies, science fiction, action adventure. To me, if there was the two, again, obviously from my perspective, you might see differently. To me, the big standouts, though, are RoboCop and Spaceballs. And again, like Spaceballs really pushed what a comedy could be. And there was a lot of money spent on it. And I did a whole episode arguing that... Baseballs might be better than Star Wars when you really break them all down. And, um, you know, Full Metal Jacket was so influential. Beverly Hills Cop 2 was a massive sequel. There was so much in this summer of 1987. And it's one I think a lot of people look back fondly on. Okay, number four, the summer of 1982. This one is the summer of epicness. You've got Rocky Three, Poltergeist, E.T., Blade Runner, The Thing, Tron, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And that's just the word that comes to mind is epic. And it's the best way to describe most of these movies. The studios, the directors, the producers, they were all pushing the boundaries of what movies could be in the summer of 1982. 
the technology was now improving so that it wasn't necessarily like a distraction in the movie, but service the story. I own a bunch of these on Blu-ray and they look like they were made yesterday, specifically E.T., Blade Runner and Tron. These movies were so ahead of their time. If you watch Blade Runner now, it's shocking. This movie looks like it was maybe made five years ago, considering, you know, the limits on the technology. That's how advanced the filmmaking really was. And then now, you know, the more I look back on this one, you know, this maybe could have been a bit higher. It depends from your viewpoint. I think the only thing that holds it back where I have it a little bit lower is that the focus is on the supernatural science fiction movies. Not that that's a bad thing, but there's not as many, you know, E.T. is considered a family movie, um, but there's not as much balance in this summer for all those different things, you know. Uh, but again, this move, this summer really just pushed the boundaries for what a movie could be. It was a summer of movies that was really ahead of its time. Okay. At number three, the summer of 1986. And this one I'm calling the most consistent summer. So here we go. You've got Aliens, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Top Gun, Stand By Me, The Fly, Labyrinth, Flight of the Navigator, Howard the Duck, and Transformers the Movie. When I was going back to make this list, I had forgotten that all these movies had come out in the same summer, that summer of 86. And that's to me what makes this year, this summer so significant, is how consistently good all of these movies are. To me, there's not necessarily one standout leader in this group. Each movie holds up on its own, as does the entire summer. Again, there's not one movie that defined this summer the way, you know, Return of the Jedi did or Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark did. If you had to pick the top one, it would probably be Top Gun. But there's just so much balance between these releases. Aliens was epic. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a generation-defining comedy. The Fly is a science fiction classic. And Stand By Me is the ultimate coming-of-age film. And then, again, you had uh, an done a whole podcast episode on Howard the Duck, and I recently did a full Howard the Duck movie review over at patreon.com. If you want to check that out and support the show, I run a show there called the Everything 80s Movie Club, where I review you know the good, the bad, and the ugly of 80s movies, and I just did Howard the Duck breaking it down. You can check that out if you go to patreon.com slash 80s or click the link wherever in the description, wherever you're listening to this. But remember, Howard the Duck was a highly anticipated movie. As much as a train wreck as it was, no one knew that going in. This was a movie, the first thing that George Lucas has made after the Star Wars trilogy. It's starring Leah Thompson, who's fresh off Back to the Future. It's a Marvel character, and it's this perfect comic sci-fi fantasy thing. So there was massive hype behind Howard the Duck, but it turned out to be an absolute train wreck. On a side note here, for the summer of 86, for a young kid like me, nothing was bigger than the Transformers movie. If you remember this, you remember how, I mean, Epic doesn't even describe the anticipation of going to this movie, but then how jarring and soul-crushing this thing was when, spoiler alert, just in case, Optimus Prime dies. And it turns out this whole movie, as good as it was, as good as the animation is, um, the soundtrack dates it. I have it on Blu-ray, but it holds up pretty amazingly well. The 
main purpose of this movie was to clear out the original toy line and to introduce new characters going into the next season of the cartoons. The backlash to the death of Optimus Prime was so big that a massive letter writing campaign was undertaken by kids that got them to resurrect Optimus Prime in the cartoon show. That's how powerful that was. But this movie, if you haven't seen this in a while, it's incredible. The animation is absolutely stellar. It took them like years to put together. But this is such a significant movie if you are a Transformers fan and at the right age in this time. I mean, ultimately, summing up the summer of 1986, these films are just all so equally solid that that's why I think it's worthy of the top three. Okay, we're into the top two. At number two, these are so tough to put in. Okay, number two, the summer of 1989. And I understand if you turn this off right now and ask why in the world this isn't number one, but we'll get to that. This is what I'm calling the true blockbuster summer. Get ready for an epic list. Okay, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Dead Poet Society, No Holds Barred, Batman, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Weekend at Bernie's, The Karate Kid Part 3, License to Kill, When Harry Met Sally, UHF, Turner and Hooch, Parenthood, and Uncle Buck. And just speaking of those, I've done reviews all about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and how I uh, did a whole episode on that and how it was ultimately really based on a horror movie standard. That's sort of that the core of this movie. And then, of course, Batman. And the episode I did was all about the backlash to Michael Keaton being named as Batman. Again, depending on your age, you might remember what a big reaction there was when everyone found out it was going to be Michael Keaton. So, of course, this summer could easily be in the number one spot. I think my choice holds up. We'll get that in a sec. But still, this summer, the summer of 1989 defined what the blockbuster movie could be. I think, obviously, Batman is the standout for this year. And it's also significant because it started the era where studios became consumed with the opening weekend box office results. It's not that they ignored them, but they were looking for like overall totals and everything like that. When Batman came around, it was all about like just smashing records. And Batman broke every record you could ever think of as far as when it comes to opening weekend gross and overnight growth, all sorts. It's all in the episode I did covered. So this really changed the way studios looked at opening weekends. But from there, just look at the offerings we got this summer. There were the critical hits like Dead Poet Society, classic comedy like Weekend at Bernie's, an all-time great romantic comedy and When Harry Met Sally. I own it on Blu-ray, I'm not afraid to say. And then the family staples like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Then there's the final, at the time, installment of the Indiana Jones franchise. I believe Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade may be the perfect movie. This summer was all about excitement, and everything that was coming out seemed bigger than the previous release. I don't know if you remember this, but th this is exactly how I picture it. Like, every movie, we, we didn't know what movies were coming. You'd maybe hear this sort of stuff, but... There's no internet, there's no YouTube, there's no spoilers of what's to come. And we're just getting like bombarded with all this amazing um, content. It was just almost too much to take in. It also has one of my all-time favorite movies in UHF. This Weird Al Yankovic staple was actually, this, this is a whole side story. I'm going to do a whole episode on UHF. 
when they were putting out UHF, when they were doing the test screenings, it was scoring as high as anything that had ever existed in Orion Pictures. Even these are when like they had all the old um, Woody Allen movies and Annie Hall and all those big ones. It was out testing that. They the studio couldn't believe how well this was doing, and they thought they could put it out during the biggest summer in arguably in movie history. Uh, because of all the competition, UHF would get absolutely crushed and only lasted two weeks. But it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. I've seen this movie like a hundred times. It's the most I can ever remember laughing at something in my life. Again, I was probably right at the right age where it perfectly catered to me. Um, but so for 1989, obviously it could easily be the best summer, but here we go. Number one, the summer of 1984, and I'm calling this the summer of the instant classic. Not as many movies, but here we go. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Revenge of the Nerds, and Purple Rain. In the summer of 1984, you knew you had something special on your hands. I just feel that some of the movies that came out in this summer are the ones that many people think of when they think of 80s movies, especially Ghostbusters, Gremlins, and The Karate Kid. But then you add to that the highly anticipated follow-up to the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. The Temple of Doom was another monster hit. You also get an all-time comedy classic in Revenge of the Nerds. And then one of my personal favorites and the perfect family-friendly movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Add to that the critical drama of Purple Rain and then Star Trek Three, and you've got a summer of massively influential movies. Again, in, in my opinion, most of these movies could have come out in the other summers, that didn't have any other big hits and still made that summer really significant. Like you could drop the karate kid in another summer and it would stand out. Gremlins would stand out. Ghostbusters would definitely stand out, stand out no matter where you dropped it in. So to me, the summer of 84 is my narrow choice for the best summer of movies in the 1980s. Okay. We better finish it up here before I change my mind or adjust this whole thing. No matter what order you put these years, I think we can all agree how lucky we were to have all these great releases in the summer during the 1980s. Again, it set the stage for what summer at the movies would become. I still love the big blockbusters of today, but sometimes they feel a little soulless at times. The summer movies of the 80s were able to capture a unique tone and spirit that I think we still feel today when watching them. So I'll finish it there. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, agreed with me, disagreed with me. I totally understand either way. But mainly, thank you for taking the time to listen to a show like this. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there. So the fact you're listening to this one means a lot. Again, if you haven't already, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I should be there. You should be able to find me anywhere. But that's it for me. I will see you soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.